Okay, welcome to episode 20 of the Write Your Life podcast. Today I'm joined by Tom Evans of thebookwrite.com. Welcome, Tom. Good evening, good, good morning and good afternoon, depending on when this is going out. Absolutely. <laughs> Who knows, whenever I get around to it, usually. Um, today we're going to be talking about um, ideas and kind of how to generate ideas. And the reason we're doing that, of course, is because Tom is an expert. Um, he describes himself on his website as an author's mentor, writer's unblocker and wizard of lightbulb moments. So before we crack on, Tom, I wonder if you could sort of elaborate on, on uh, how, what that means, I guess what that means to you and, um, and how we should understand that. Well, the first thing I should say is that it, it's all a happy accident because I never planned to do it. There was never, it was never in my career path to do that. I, I started out life uh, doing a degree in electronics at Birmingham and, and then took a job at the BBC uh, in Manchester and spent 20 years in broadcasting and 10 years in uh, high-end internet technology. And uh, in my mid-40s, I kind of got bored with it all. And uh, I didn't exactly have that midlife crisis. But, you know, when someone says there's a book inside you, I kind of wrote one by accident and um, put it out on the Internet because I was a bit techie. So I put it out as a PDF. It's a book called 100 Years of Ermintrude. And blow me, people started to download it and like it. <laughs> and, uh, and so this, this was the start of my career in all of those things. So I, um, I wrote that book, put it out there. It mentions breast cancer in the book, so I, I got it sponsored by um, Walk the Walk um, charity, right. which generated loads of links to the site. So I gave all the da- all the uh, the receipts to Walk the Walk. Ended up walking around London in a bra for twenty six miles with fifteen thousand women, which certainly wasn't on the career path. <laughs> and before I knew it, all these people would kind of approach me and say, "Oh, you've written a book, Tom. Uh, could you help me?" write it and I said yeah sure I'll, I'll give you you know more mechanically than anything else you know how do you get published how do you do all this print on demand stuff and yeah. and I've done it I've done it as a pdf I did it as an mp3 I did it as an mp4 Jack and Ori style story last year I made it into an iphone app you know so it's kind of a great example of how you can multi-purpose your your output yeah and, and the irrepressible techie in me had to do all of this stuff but what seemed to happen is I seemed to be a magnet for people that were stuck and uh, at the same time, coincidentally, I, I went and trained as a hypnotherapist and, and also, oddly enough, as a past life regressor. And I found that, that lots of people that were manifesting this thing we call writer's block actually had life block. Right. And I became quite good at un, un, unhinging the, the un, clearing the life block and the writer's block at the same time, like a win-win situation. Then the triple win is a book coming out. So before I knew it, I became a bit of a magnet for people that were stuck. Well, and there really is no shortage of people who are stuck with writing. I mean, and, and I think a lot of the writing blog community has based their entire sort of careers out of uh, trying to help people unblock their writing. It's kind of such, mm-hmm. it must be the most the most commonly written blog post, um, and for good reason. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I just talked about this briefly before we started. A, a blog post that I wrote is the first blog post I. Uh, I, I wrote uh, on Write for Your Life, and it attracted quite a lot of attention um, unexpectedly. And I think, I, I mean, Write for Your Life isn't the most popular site in the world, but it does all right. And I think a lot of that initial momentum was down to this post, partly because I was accidentally being controversial. I think. Um, mm. So if I just read, sort of read a very short bit, my, what, my, what I said about um, well, the, the, the post was called "Writers Abandon Your Muses; They're a Work of Fiction." So mm-hmm. I was sort of, it was meant, it, it wasn't meant as, um, it wasn't meant to be quite as, um, 
I don't know, abrasive as I think it perhaps came across. But um, my point was it was about taking responsibility for your writing. I think that's what I was trying to say, as mm-hmm. opposed to sort of, um, if you couldn't write, uh, as opposed to um, as opposed to saying, oh, it's because of my muse. Um, sort of the idea of taking responsibility and saying, well, it's just that I haven't got ideas, or it's just that I think, as you've just said, about having a life block, it could be that I've actually just got stuff on that's not allowing me to think straight at the moment, and that could be anything. So I, I described... I said, to me, the muse is a nonsense notion spouted by writers, artists and other creative types who want to give their procrastinating a fancy name. Um, and part of the reason I mentioned that is obviously because I, I suspect you're gonna, <laughs> you might disagree with me slightly, but also because I wonder if I've perhaps changed my mind since uh, I wrote that in 2009, possibly even eight, end of 2008. So, uh, so how do you feel about the concept of a muse in general? Well, first off, can I say I totally agree with your point? Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree that people find it really easy to, to make excuses for not writing. So, and, and, and a good example of that is when someone comes to see me for, um, for a session, if they're late, before they even get to me, I know that time management is an issue, right? If they get there and then, then their bag is full of lots of notes and they're pulling it out and all this sort of stuff and everything's in a mess, organisation is the kind of issue, yeah? And then, then you can tell from people's words and where their hands are. So if they're talking to me like this, then they're frightened of, sh- of, of, of their voice right. coming out. Yeah? And so you can tell a lot by the words that people use and the words that they write and their body language and, the, and, and their general demeanor of where the issue is. And, and the, that, that whole scenario that you describe, where someone makes an excuse saying blaming someone else yeah. is also uh, a great issue. So... So the way I see it is that um, let's just let's do a, mechan- a mechanistic explanation of how it works. We've got a left brain and we've got a right brain. And the Greeks described this really well. Well, the, the, the Greeks had two versions of time. They had Kronos and Kairos. And Kronos was the in-space time and Kairos was the outer space time. Okay. And if you sit in your right brain with your head in the clouds in that dreamy state, you'll never get anything done. This, that sounds very familiar to me. <laughs> you sit in that left brain mode, in, in a kind of anal mode, where attention to detail and everything, and say, oh, well, I'm not going to do anything until it's absolutely right. You know, I'm not going to publish it because I want to get the last spelling mistake out of it. You know, my latest book has got 35 mistakes in it I've just found, which right. is great. But it didn't stop me publishing it, and it's no less a book for having 35 mistakes in it. We'll sort them out in the next edition. That's, that's kind of cool, right? Yeah. But if I was one of those left-brain people, it never would have seen the light of day, and it wouldn't have ended up with me getting bookings for my time as a speaker and, uh, and as a person running workshops. Yeah. And what you've got to do is you've got to sit in this mode where both sides of the brain are working together, and you can say that your muse works through your right brain, and, and the controller, if you like, the consciousness, the director, the person that's sculpting the shape of the book sits in your left brain. And when they both work together, you end up with a situation where one and one equals three. So I'm kind of, I agree with your diagnosis that don't make it an excuse because that's quite a lame excuse. <laughs> I think so. But I mean, what worries me is that I think I'm both of those people that you just described. I think I am a, a complete and utter daydreamer. I, I, I'm constantly... Um, asking people to repeat things because <laughs> I'm away with the fairies doing my own thing. Okay. Yeah. But at the same time, when it comes to my writing, I'm meticulous with it to the point where I, I, I struggle to move on from, say, uh, even a sentence, maybe even a paragraph. I mean, it's strange because obviously I work, I, I, I'm an, I, uh, I write fiction, but I'm also 
a copywriter. I'm a, I'm a professional working copywriter. Therefore, mm -hmm. in every single day, I don't have time to mess about with sentences. So I mm -hmm. have to sort of be able to do that. But I do find when it comes to writing fiction that I tend to, and I suspect that this is an English phrase, but um, I apologize to the US listeners, but I tend to faff around quite a lot uh, okay. with um, and, and, and try and um, make sure something's uh, just right before I move on. And that's, that's certainly something that I'm hoping to improve on as I, as I start writing my second novel in earnest. Right. So what do you think about the idea of responsibility? Because I think that was, that was sort of the, that was the, that was the real point of my post. Um, the idea of taking responsibility. So just just as um, the example I used there was, um, um, if you uh, blaming on blaming it on a muse if you're struggling to write. Um, sure. In the in the same way, I I, I get frustrated when writers um, co almost congratulate their muse when it's them. I feel like it's them that's had the ideas and they should be proud right. and they should be um, you know delighted and sort of this that's mine. Own it. This is this is my idea. I own that idea. No one else is. That's I mean. That's kind of why I write, so that I've got something that no one else in the world has created, and um, I can call it all my own. So I think when people say, "Oh, that was you know my muse was with me" or something like that, then I think, "No, it was you. You should be you should be pleased." So it's the idea of responsibility. How does that? Is there a, is there a, a, um, a sort of a um, physiological reason for all that, or kind of explanation for that? Well, the physiological reason is that we're actually blessed with two minds. So yeah. our, our right brain and our left brain create two different worlds. There's a fantastic book by a guy called Ian McGilchrist called The Master and His Emissary and explains it in great detail how our two minds actually work in different ways. Right. And people, the, the, the neuroscientists used to, to work out how our minds work by looking at people that maybe had some brain trauma, either a stroke or an injury or something like that. But nowadays what they can do is they can anesthetize temporarily a bit of anyone's brain that's healthy right. while they're awake and ask them how they're feeling. Right. So what happens is when you, when you take someone's left brain out, they go all spacey and dreamy and loopy and don't know where they are. When you take someone's right brain out, they get all this attention to detail but can't see the big picture. Right. And, and, and kind of what's interesting, you know I mentioned I had this uh, background as an electronic engineer. Yeah. So when I got into this sort of this fluffy space, as you might call it, and I will answer the question about you know where, where people making an excuse as well. Is I started to look at it from an engineering perspective. How does this mind work from an engineering perspective? And funnily enough, um, there's loads of physiological things you can do to get your left and right brain working together. The first is a thing called cross crawling, where you do this exercise where your your left knee touches your right, uh, your left elbow touches your right knee, and then your right elbow touches your your left knee, and it just kind of gets the two brains. Uh, two minds working together. There's right. also nostril breathing, so you can hold one nostril closed and breathe through the other alternately. Hang on. And as Hang you on. breathe through your left, left nostril, it fires up the right brain, and when you breathe through your right nostril, it fires up the left brain. And you can do this exercise with your eyes where you do a loopy thing. There's a, there's a free um, visualization on my website, um, which we'll, we'll put the link in at the yeah, end. Absolutely, okay. yeah. And it takes you through this mode. And if you do it before you write, it synchronizes right and left brain. But going back to the original question, there's kind of two people in the world, two types of people in the world. There's the people that you call at effect. So they're all, woe is me, mm -hmm. uh, er, something's everyone else's fault. Uh, they're, never, they're never wrong themselves. It's always the system or the church or the politicians or the teachers or the parents or their, their partner or their children. And it's always their, it's, it's their fault they can't get something done. Mm -hmm. And then there's another bunch of people who are at cause and they just make things happen. 
And all I've found is if you hang out more with people that are at cause, more things get done. Having said that, you know, as, as, a, as a therapist and a healer, I do work with a lot of people that are, are at effect, but my aim is to get them from at being effect to being at cause and being really purposeful. purposeful. And is there, is, there a, is there an element of that that's to do with um, how you perceive yourself? Because, um, for instance, I, I feel like I um, am constantly uh, time management and that, that kind of thing. I'm terrible at that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm always always striving to try and get the next thing done. And mm-hmm. or, or that, that's kind of a, a permanent state of trying to get the next thing done. But at the mm-hmm. same time, when I, people speak to me, they go, well, I can't believe you have time to work full time, write a novel, run a website and to do all these things. So is it, is it is part of that how you perceive yourself or does that yeah, make well, sense? What happens, in my mid-40s when I started writing, I also started meditating. And, and again, I, I looked at the whole, point, uh, the whole practice of meditation from a kind of engineering perspective. And what I found was is when you get into a meditative state and you can get into a meditative state with your eyes open as well, the speed of time changes. So if you practice what I call eyes open meditation, and again, there's a free download of, of a visualization doing my website that takes you into that mode. And I love giving all this stuff out free because yeah, well, we can put, I, we can I, put I, a link to it. Me freely and I want to pass it on freely. Um, when, you, when you work in this eyes open meditative state with your left and right brain in synchronism, the speed of time changes. So you know when you're in the zone and you get great ideas in, and everything just flows, and you know everything you do is like the first draft is the final edit, you know? Yeah. What happens is you get about four hours' work done in, in about an hour, especially if you switch off email and Twitter and all those distractions. Of course. <laughs> so there's a few practical things you've got to do as well. So this whole thing is, is about sort of kind of changing the way that we work. So we, we, uh, we really focus, and, and the muse kind of kicks in as well because you can see the muse is your right brain um, kind of... Uh, working through your left brain or you can see it as a uh, as a transducer to something that's called the super consciousness okay and super consciousness is an idea that people like young popularized but now all the quantum physicists are getting onto that bang wagon as well right and it's kind of a loose theory and it's only a loose theory that all thought past present and future sits in the super consciousness and it kind of explains how your dog knows you're coming home how you know the phone's about to ring and who's on the end of it, mm. how Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci started drawing pictures of helicopters and parachutes well before mm. you could do that sort of thing, and, and how I started writing a future history of the world and some of the stuff I wrote that is going to happen 150 years from now, I found out is actually true. Right. <laughs> yeah, which is a bit spooky when it happens. So how do you know that? Explain that. How do you know that? How do you, what do you mean you know that it's true? Oh well, I, I wanted. I want. I, a, I employed a book coach when I wrote my first novel, which is kind of out there at the moment in, in a sample. And I wanted Mars and the Earth to be on opposite sides of the sun from each other, 116 years from now. Right. And my book coach said, "Whatever you do, j- uh, don't try and research while you're writing. You'll never finish the job. And um, put any old date in, and then after, kind of, you know, when you're not writing, kind of research it. So I have my writing Fridays religiously guarded." And then in the middle of the week, I'd research what I'd just written to see whether it was true. And the date I picked at random, 116 years from now, where I wanted Mars to be exactly on the opposite side of the sun for the, the reasons of this plot, it was exactly where I wanted it to be. Well, how do you know that that's just not guesswork or just, just look? Oh, I found an online solar system. You can wind the whole solar system on on an exact date. That, and, and, and it could be a guess. 
right? Yeah. It could be a lucky guess. Yeah. But to me, and and also, I don't think it's that spooky. It's just it's if you, if you know anything about cosmology, there's a one in six hundred and sixty three chance of that happening. So it's not the same odds as as the lottery. Yeah. But it's it's significant that uh, if you actually if you really extrapolate the odds out, why did I choose it on that date? Why do you choose it just there where it was? So it's kind of uncanny these things happen. And it's not just me. These sort of things are happening all over the place and loads of things, loads of people report them. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It doesn't matter is if it's some sort of strange, spooky muse working through my right brain or it's just my right brain tuning into the general cosmos. So is, the, is there an element of kind of... Um, I don't know. That's, I mean, that sounds quite... Um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? It might begin with psycho. Yeah, well, the thing is also, if you have too much separation between your left and right brain, then you start to have a bipolar mm. disease. And if you get a mega, mega separation, then you're called psychotic and you get locked up. Oh, no, I didn't mean that kind uh, of psycho. I meant something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> but, so but there's a fine balance. There's a fine balance between massive creativity and nuttiness. Indeed. No, I was trying to think of the word. What do you call someone who, who, who predicts the future? Oh, psychic. Psychic, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I've got that's embarrassing, yeah, yeah. isn't it? I am a writer, you know. I do know some words. Did you say psycho, though? Maybe I did say oh, No, yeah, I entirely got it wrong. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't trying to have a go in the middle of a podcast. Well, maybe you were right, though. <laughs> Goodness me. Um, oh, not, see, see, in my world, there's no, the, there's no faux pas. The unconscious <laughs> mind knows exactly what it wants to say. And I think you meant psycho. <laughs> and you might well be right, but um, I count myself as a lucky psycho. Or a well, I was, thinking, psycho. I was thinking that the word was psycho something, but I, I, was, yeah. I was utterly wrong. Yeah, uh, I, I, meet lo- I work with loads of so-called psychic people, and yeah. I don't call it that. I just call it um, intuition, super sensibility. There's lots of other words for it, and I think it's a natural condition that we all get into, but what happens is our society and our education system is really focused on the left brain. Right. It conditions people for left brain thinking. When I was 40, someone, a psychic, not a psycho, said to me, you know what, Tom, your, your right brain is completely switched off and your left brain's working at about 110%, and I completely believe them. They introduced me to this uh, practice of uh, nostril breathing yeah. and, um, and, and cross-crawling. And as soon as I did that, I started to write backwards like a dyslexic person does. Wow. Sometime. And funnily enough, I work a lot with dyslexic people. And it really isn't a disability. It's a different ability. Some of the capabilities that uh, people like that have are just amazing, but they get suppressed in school. Um, and there are some pretty enlightened teachers now, but in general, you know, uh, they get put in the slow stream. They mm. don't get looked after. And these are our geniuses. These are the these are the artists, the writers, the musicians, the great entrepreneurs and businessmen of the future. But they've just got a different ability, which doesn't quite fit into our education system. Mm. Okay, um, can I ask you a couple of questions that are related to my own writing? I know that I should be. Sure. If I, I'm not asking for a session, because otherwise I would I should probably pay for that, shouldn't I? But. Um, I thought it would be a good way to sort of prompt this discussion about ideas and trying to see see if we can go off in a or see what direction we're going go off into. So, I I'm in as as I think most listeners or certainly readers of Write for Your Life know I've got I've written a novel. I have an agent and and because of uh, you know we're, I'm trying to get published. So you you would imagine to be in that position is, is a is. My work's been successful up to a point. It's a de- de- degree of success, or there is a degree of sort of um, 
I don't know, confirmation. It's kind of, or, or for me, mm-hmm. it's, 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 um, you know, it's helped me sort of realise that I've done something good. So just on very basic terms, I can, I, I believe I've written a novel that is, is, is pretty good. It's sort of my best work. Uh, certainly when I wrote it, it was my best work. So I think one of my fears, and I think one of the things that I, I worry about as I, as I sort of get into the midst of uh, writing a second novel is um, whether I'll be able to repeat the, my best work, whether... Um, <laughs> I'm not sure whether I'm saying whether I've peaked before I'm, you know, at the age of 30, but certainly whether I, whether I can allow myself to write anything that's not as good as something that I always already perceive to be at a certain level, and, mm-hmm. um, and whether my ideas are going to be uh, as good again. Is that the kind of? Is that? Do you find that to be quite a common complaint as such um, for people trying to generate ideas and struggling with writer's block? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a lovely blog series on, on the bookwrite.com site uh, called Four Fears, Talent and Time. Okay. And the four fears run like this. They're fear of ridicule, fear of the unknown, fear of failure and fear of success. And then, then people have got a perceived lack of talent and perceived lack of time. And it's not that you fall into one category. It's always a mix of those six things, right? Yeah. And so with, with you, then well, that, what comes out straight away is fear of failure, right? So, you know, you've been okay, but now it's all going to go pear-shaped uh, and that sort of stuff. And also mixed in with that, I would imagine you've got a fear of success as well. Well, I think I did, but it's been long enough now that I'm, I'm, I'm ready yeah. for success. I really... <laughs> okay, great. Okay, so, so what you're going to do is, what you're gonna do is, uh, is, um, is for, the first thing you've got to do is that, that there is absolutely no failure. All the people, all the people that have got something written and it's sitting on their hard drive, and nobody but them and maybe their close friends have seen it, they're in the failure stakes. Mm. All the people that have published it, even if five people buy it or whatever, even if you get bad reviews, you are a success. And to be in the same quadrant of you know being written and published as opposed to written, not published, or not written and published, or, or published but not written. By the way, published and not written is, is the quadrant that publishers sit in. Right. <laughs> so to be in that same quadrant as J.K. Rowling's and Charles Dickings, Dan Brown and Wayne Rooney, even you know. So, to be in that written and published quadrant is success. Right? Okay. And you never know till you put it out there who's going to love it. And, and to me, if you change one mind on the planet, that's a fantastic success. True, and that's a, that is a very good way of looking at it. And that's kind of how I, that's it's strange actually because that's kind of how I how I started uh, Ripe Your Life. I kind of it was. It's strange how I my uh, writing fiction and I guess even writing at work is it mm. kind of it meant a lot and it had to you know it really had to please everyone. But when I started a blog, I just I just sort of threw it up there and didn't really care whether anyone liked it or not. And then people people sort of you know the, the uh, readers trickled in and I and I thought oh this is this is this was unexpected. And again, you don't know who's reading it and whose life are changing. You know, I've seen some of your blogs this week, and I've just tuned in. I've just found things that I didn't know about. I'm going now. That's really useful information, and uh, and exactly. it changes the direction that you go. And this is someone like me who's tuned into this world. Yeah. But for me, you know, your 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 um your blogs are just so incisive and so on the button, and you're you're so in tune with the pulse. Very kind going. of you to not, say. Not, not in publishing, but in writing. You know. And, and and I love that. And so so failing failing is not publishing, mm. right? And and you know what? If you publish the second book and it isn't as good, then what you should do is go and write the third book. One of my one of my favourite uh, 
uh, quotes um, was by Ricky Gervais of all people, and um, mm. he I can't remember. It was when it was when extras just came out. It was I guess it, mm. I guess it was pro he was probably promoting extras actually, mm -hmm. and obviously The Office was sort of this huge success and you know mm -hmm. um, critically acclaimed as well as you know the, you've got the, the dream ticket of being critically acclaimed and commercial. How scary is that for him then compared with with, with us and our books? You know? Well, absolutely, it's very absolutely. very visible. And you know we we'd all expect extras not to be as good, and it was it was good but differently good, wasn't it? Well, and what what he was what someone said to him was um, uh, in in an interview, he said, "Are you worried that uh, are you worried that extras um, isn't going to be as good as The Office, or or it's not going to be as well received as The Office?" And he said, "Well, I wrote The Office as well, so yeah. what does it matter?" <laughs> it's almost kind of, seen, was, you know, yeah. You see, in the U.S. Office, it's the same plot, but it's differently brilliant. On top I, I actually, of the we we in in our house we love the uh, U.S. version of The Office, and um, yeah, yeah. I, I had to go back and because I'd started telling people that I actually liked it more than I liked the U.K. version, and mm -hmm. I, I recently went back and watched the U.K. version just to sort of check that I was not getting carried away with myself. And it turns out, mm -hmm. as you say, that I probably like them equally; they're just entirely different. Um, yeah, and and they had the bravery, Stephen Merchant and Ricky Gervais had the bravery to be executive producers. Yeah. And bring in the great talent, which is Steve Carell yeah. and all the other actors, and yeah. it's cringeworthy, isn't it? It's lovely. It's the same. It's the same kind of cringeworthy, but it's even more cringeworthy, but in a different way, which is great. And just beautifully written as well. That's I think that's the thing about uh, both versions of The Office. It's just uh, really. I, th I think beautiful is the right word. I know it's uh, it's cringeworthy, and some of the stuff is mm. very difficult to watch at times. But it's the oh, way it's sure. the, 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 the you know it's just fantastic writing. Mm. I'll move on to my next question. Um, so, struggling to know what a good idea is, I think that's mm -hmm. another thing. And I think for me, this is tied in with worrying about um, not being able to repeat my best work. Um, mm -hmm. So, you kind of, when the idea for my first novel, for example, I didn't really think about whether it was a good idea or not. It was just the one that I had at that particular time. Mm -hmm. And I sort of went for it, wrote 10,000 words. And then, of course, the idea changed and uh, it kind of morphed into several other ideas. And before I knew it, I got a novel. I think one, another one of my concerns in writing another piece of work, as, as well as it not being as good, is having an idea and thinking, oh, is that, is that the one? Is that the idea that's going to be right for this second novel? Because now mm -hmm. I have different expectations. I've got an agent who's, you know, I need to, I've got someone, uh, someone to... Uh, not that they are putting any pressure on me whatsoever, but you know, you have someone else to to think mm -hmm. about almost. I'm not pregnant. I realise that's what people say to pregnant people. <laughs> You've got someone else to think about. But um, yeah, so it's that that idea of knowing when when an idea is is the right idea or a good idea. Well, you know, we've been talking about left and right brain, mm. and uh, you know, in in classical classic neuroscience, mm. the brain is what generates our consciousness. But obviously in this model of the brain where you've got your right brain doing something fundamentally different from your left brain, then the right brain is seen as a perceiver, a receiver of consciousness, and the left brain is, is seen as a generator of consciousness. But as we've evolved, we also, uh, before we evolved into humans, we've also were equipped with other mind centers, which are now being picked up by MRI scanners. So this isn't sort of pseudoscience, this is science. And we've got, and in our gut, We've got more neurons than in a cat's brain. In our in the heart center, which is in the middle of our chest, not where our heart is, we've also got ganglia. And in the mystical traditions, these are called chakra centers. 
Um, but they're kind of, even though they're, they, they're maybe seen by scientists with some derision, uh, they're actually real centres. And you know when you say, um, you know what, oh, I wish I trusted my gut on that one. Yeah. And you made a mistake. What they found out now is that the gut mind works about five seconds ahead of our conscious mind. Right. And what's important about it is always right. So when you know you've got a good idea, it's when it isn't just a head idea. Yeah. It resonates with, you feel it in your gut, you feel it in your water, you get excited about it, you wake up at four o'clock in the morning, uh, woken up by your muse, dare I say, at four o'clock in the morning, because they've just given you this great idea. And then what happens, something else happens, which is even more uncanny. Everything else falls into place. So the plot really works really smoothly. You seem just to find the time by getting in this sort of in-the-zone space, Yeah. right? Then you find an agent just turns up. Then a publisher finds you, and that whole sort of paradigm of you know, I'll send my book out and get uh, maybe twenty nine no, I'll send it out to thirty publishers, get twenty nine no replies, and then one, I love it, but we're not publishing that sort of thing at this time. Yeah, that whole paradigm disappears. And with me, all my books, the publisher has, has found me. Right, it happens the other way around. Right now, I admit that that's in the non-fiction genre, non-fiction, which is kind of easier than fiction. Yeah. Um, but it's always that I've just landed with the right publishing route. And I've got like, um, I've ended up with two contracts within 48 hours. Right. Yeah. And, and one of them came from a tweet which had nothing to do with my book. Right. This bloke said, oh, nice tweet, Tom, about something else, nothing to do with my book. And I said, oh, I've just written this book, you wouldn't be interested. And sent in the manuscript, within 48 hours a, manu- uh, a contract came in. That sounds like a very, very so handy idea. Is, and then that's just confirmation that you're in the right place at the right time with the right manuscript with the right publisher. So yeah. it's, it's a lot of what you said there it seems to be, um, I guess, intuition or, or, or instincts. Is there a case of overthinking things, perhaps, that you have, exactly. a, you have so, an idea? Yeah, so, so our mind, because it's more sophisticated and, it's, and it speaks louder than our gut mind. Our gut mind speaks, it's only got two words, our gut mind. Hmm. It's got yes and no. Right. Right, and you can talk to it. I've got. I run this workshop where I teach people how to connect with, reconnect with their gut mind, and where they reconnect, how to connect with your heart mind. So your heart, your gut mind talks in yes and no, and you can learn to hear its signature. And I've written a whole book about it's called Flavors of Thought: How All Our Thoughts Aren't the Same. Hmm. And your heart mind speaks as a level. So you either really love something, you don't love it at all, or you half love it. Right. And then, then once you interpret these signals and you, and you get that feeling, and also it's, a, it's in your pallor, it's in your complexion, it's in your demeanour, mm. you know, and your gut mind will stop you doing things. It, it's, a, it's a protector, right. so it stops us, like, walking out uh, just before a bus might run us over or we're just about to pull out and, and, and so that gut mind is working at that level. Yeah. And it kind of looks after us, if you know what I mean. So, uh, so your gut's got to be in it, your heart's got to be in it, and your mind's got to be in it. And when you get all those three aligned, then you become unstoppable. It's interesting to hear you talk. I mean, it's very, almost every answer you, you've, you've given me, not that I am particularly quizzing you, but it's, it's much more scientific than I expected you to, uh, mm-hmm. than I expected. I think, because I, I, a lot of people talk about, um, I don't know, just sort of like very practical solutions like, oh, you need to uh, write a thousand words a day and, or you need to write every day even just to, um, just to get that sort of practice going. Or there's lots of sort of different tips and tricks, but it sounds like, it sounds like your approach is actually you know, quite scientific. It's a case of getting yourself in the right, I don't know, mindset maybe. Yeah, can I, can I share with you my writing practice? Yeah, of course, that'd be great. 
Okay, it, it's simply like this. Let's say, I, so first off, I book an appointment with a chapter, like I'd book an appointment with a client or a meeting or something like that. So it's in my diary, and Twitter's off, email's off, everything's off, right? Yeah. Phones are off and that sort of stuff. The first thing I do, let's say I book two hours, and the, the, then um, the last thing you want to do with that two hours, isn't it, is waste ten minutes of it because yeah. you book those precious two hours out of your busy, inverted commas, busy calendar, right? So the first thing I do is spend at least 10 or 20 minutes meditating, right? And again, there's a, there's a visualization on my website for free that gets you into that non-thinking mode, right? Okay. And that changes the speed of time. So the following one hour, 40 minutes becomes like three hours. Okay. Or four hours. Yeah. And then I spend 10 minutes mind mapping what I'm about to write. And that takes my brain into different areas and it gets the left and right brain working. So I've now, I've now burnt 30 minutes of my two-hour appointment, right? Mm. Then in the remaining one hour, 30, I'll do three or four hours work. And, and it's more brilliant than I was even planning before I started the meditation. And, so and now, it sounds counterintuitive, but it, it really works. Well, the, the, idea of, um, I mean, the idea of booking, booking an appointment, I think, is... is is uh, definitely something that, that I, I try and do. It's kind of really get to a point where I just have to stop everything else and say mm-hmm. this time is mine for doing this and and sure. um, try my very best not to be tempted. In fact, I used a program called Freedom, which I think is I think is actually only available for the Mac, but it basically just disables your internet connection, and that's very very handy. Oh, to... I like the sound of that. I might get one of those. Very helpful. <laughs> um, but the idea of meditating. See, no, my, like, I don't, I've never meditated. I don't know. I, I, I don't. I wouldn't even know how to start. But I'd be very tempted. I think. I think I would naturally five minutes into meditating think I should. I would. My, I would find it. I think I would find it difficult to stop myself thinking I should be doing something else. I should be writing. I could be. I could be cracking on with this instead of instead of um, uh, sat here or whatever it was. However it is that you meditate, um, I think I would be. I'd struggle to make that sort of leap from not doing something because I'd already made that appointment and this is when I was going to be doing something to, to actually affect. I know that I know that you're saying to me that it's not not doing something, but I think I would struggle to mentally adjust. If that makes well, sense. I think you're right. I mean, I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I was 15 years older than you are now before I started meditating. So, uh, right. so you know, don't, don't feel bad about not <laughs> meditating. When I first started doing it, I was the biggest cynic out and thought, one, I'm one. I'm never going to stop my active mind going to stop thinking, and two, I haven't got enough time because I'm a busy guy. You know? yeah. So, but I kind of got over that hurdle, and now I, I teach you how to do it. The first thing is there are the, the the last thing you should do with, with meditation is make it a left brain anal activity where I must do 20 minutes. Mm. So if I'm five minutes in, and by the way, you don't you don't know what time is doing anyway. You're in a deep meditation. Let's say you're five minutes in, and you have the most brilliant idea. I bust out of the meditation and start writing, and I might I might skip the the the, the mind map part of it as well because you yeah. might just be in the flow, right? The second is it's not sitting in a darkened room with your legs crossed, uh, holding a mudra and, and chanting Om. That's a bit disappointing. I, I meditate when I'm out walking the dogs. You know, right. you can meditate just doing get you know get off the if you commute, get off your bus a stop earlier. Get off your tube or stop early and just and walk. But the main thing you're going to do is, if you do uh, eyes open meditation, is look slightly up. If you look down, then it switches on that internal uh, critic, the inner critic. So it's not, it doesn't have to be regimented at all. And you don't have to do it in sequence. You can, funnily enough, um, 
you, you can sort of write and meditate afterwards, and that, that meditation seems to count for the next day. So there are no rules for meditation. But there are two levels of meditation. There's, uh, there's called somatic meditation, where you meditate on a thing like a, a voice or a, a mantra or a candle or the breath. Okay. And there's a deeper one called vipassanic, where you meditate on thought itself. And this uh, download that I've got, this free download, uh, takes you through both of those. And the one where you meditate on thought itself is, is a, real, um, uh, a real creative crowd pleaser, let's call it that. Right. I shall, yeah. I shall look it up. Um, and give it a go as well, because I think I need to. I mean, I've, I've, like I say, I feel like I'm and, and all, also, all over the place. And also, something that's pretty weird. Everyone that does this meditation, this getting in the zone thing, everyone says that I get strange reports back. First off, they become <laughs> luckier, because they seem to notice more things. Right. Uh, uh, and, and the other thing is, if anyone's got like a headache, it seems to clear headaches. Wow. And I, never, I never knew it was going to do that, so extra little <laughs> side bonus there. That is a bonus. <laughs> Okay, I think that we've. Um, I think that we're. I, I haven't got a timer in front of me, but I suspect that we're well over twenty minutes. So we'll uh, we'll uh, uh, bring it to an end there. But thank you very much for joining me, Tom. Um, and I find that I find that really fascinating. I have to say, I was a real uh, not what I expected you to. We, we didn't argue. That's the that's the good thing. I think we agreed with each other more than we disagreed. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so why don't you tell us where we can uh, uh, find your bits and pieces? And we'll, we'll also put links in the, in the show notes, which will go with the post on right. Write for Your Life. Yeah, I've got a couple of sites. I've got a site called thebookwrite.com, which is spelled like playwright with, with book in it. And that's where I write about booky things that are going on. And I've also got an author site um, called tomevans.co. Not .com or .co.uk, just .co. And that's where you'll find my books, my workshops, my free downloads. And, and it's very easy. It, calls, it says free stuff, downloads, and it's all in there. Right. No, you, don't have to, you don't have to sign up. I don't want email addresses. I'm not into all of that stuff. I work completely serendipitously. And uh, the right client's coming at the right time. And I don't, I'm not into this whole thing of um, uh, trying to grab things from people in the hope they might buy something in the future. I love just giving stuff out and, uh, and letting the whole world flow. Fantastic. Sounds like a very smashing ethos as well. Absolutely. Okay, Tom, well, thank you very much for joining us. And don't forget, everyone, that you can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and feel free to leave a review because it's very helpful and it sends us soaring up the rankings, apparently. And and that's it. We'll uh, speak to you next time. I was going to say see you next time, but um, it'll just mainly be uh, an an audio thing. And um, I also like to finish, Tom, my uh, podcast with a rambling mess, as you've just noticed. (laughs) Love it. Take care. (laughs) Bye-bye.